did they do it? How did they do it? You're listening to the How Did They Do It podcast with Kostas Panayotou. Welcome to How Did They Do It, the uh, podcast where you can join me in conversations with inspirational individuals who found their freedom and purpose by doing what they love doing most. Most of us solopreneurs are in it for the love of what we do. Typically, we are experts in the services that we provide, whether we are therapists, coaches, artists or small business owners. And this leads us often into countless enjoyable conversations with our clients, our patients or our fans. However, conducting a sales conversation typically feels like an entirely different matter. The context in which we often conduct such conversations, it seems to be very different and this often makes us dread these conversations. Some time ago I spoke with a hypnotherapist and sales expert Philip Carrington Spence about the art of conversational sales for coaches and therapists and for all solopreneurs really. And in this almost hourly chat we discussed some typical pain points for solopreneurs when it comes to making sales calls. And if you are wondering how to improve your sales skills then I would strongly recommend that you listen carefully to this episode and then you're going to find out about why sales conversations need to boring and dry, why you shouldn't be afraid to charge high ticket prices, the number one tip for conducting successful and natural sales conversations, why you should be aiming to get a lot of no's despite of what the sales gurus say. So have a listen and as ever I'm very curious to hear your feedback. So, and, uh, and we are live and Phil just adjusted his chair, which is uh, great because we don't want him to be falling over. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Good morning, everyone. I'm Kostas from Vision to Action, helping um, solopreneurs to beat stress and overwhelm and get clarity of purpose, accountability and freedom in their lives. And uh, today I'm very, very glad and actually honored to get my, um, my friend Phil to join us on the program. Phil is a sales expert, but um, I'm sure um, you'll all agree after having seen his bio, he's um, much more than that. And Phil, your uh, full name is Philip Carrington Spence. I'm not really good with this yeah. hyphenated stuff. Could you not have an easier surname like Panayotu or something? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, welcome to uh, welcome to this uh, interview. And um, you've got your own um, group, obviously, Conversales. And um, you know, I would like you to, uh, to talk about that a bit later. But um, let's start with the, the bio that you've sent me, though, because I think it's um, you know it's fair to say that uh, your work has been quite varied, um, quite unusual at times as well. So, can you tell us a little bit more? about sort of some unusual places you have worked in the past and the things you've learned from it? Yeah, I, I mean, that's a big question, you know. Uh, and it, it's fair to say my, my life's been extremely varied. Uh, some of the lessons you learn from it are, are instant and others come along at a later time in life. And I think that that's for most people, you know. Mm -hmm. So if you take simple things is is when I was actually research, which is high research advisor. So you, you actually go out and, and look for unexploded uh, devices. Right, unexploded devices. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah, booby traps and, and, and stuff like that. So the thing being is, is, is the general public and, and anybody else who's helping out, 
their philosophy and, and, and thoughts were, we, we hope you never find anything. My philosophy and my team's philosophy was, we, we hope we did. Because the catch-22 behind the scenes was, if you didn't find anything, you was always worried you'd miss something. Got it. So the lessons I actually learned from that is, is you can really, you know, you can, you can plan and plan and plan, you know, and you can hope for the best. But you've also got a plan for, for when things do go wrong, you know. Mm. So other others' perceptions are, I hope everything is going to be rosy and you find nothing. But in real life, if you look deep enough, you'll find something. So, so that was one of them. And if you link on with that, I had a, a great job actually clearing beaches of mines. Now, the, the catch-22 with that is, is when you clear an area, the waves would come in and actually cover mines that are already there or actually drag them out and bring them back in again. So you could never, ever confidently say that area was clear. And the biggest lesson I actually learned from that is, is that if you actually ignore problems, all that's going to happen is they might wash away in your mind for a short period of time. But eventually they're going to come back and get covered. And, and whilst you might think you've forgotten about them, they're not. They're, they're still there. And for some people, they, that can actually come back and explode, you know, and, and explode in a nasty way and upset the whole line. So it, it taught me a lesson wherever possible you, you, you deal with those things as they come along. You know, so. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great way of looking at things in a sort of, yeah. and, and that kind of keeps you alert and, um, you know, present in the moment, really, in a sense. We've got um, Tracy says, hi, hi, Tracy. Good to see you. Good to see people joining the, the broadcast here. And um, yeah, and I think for, for me, it's really, really important to to be alert, really, in the moment, just because that's how you spot yeah. opportunities as well, isn't it? And presumably there's some lessons there for sales as well. Yeah, I mean, within the sales environment, I mean, you're learning lessons all the time. Uh, and, and probably the biggest lesson I learned from sales was prejudging. And you get it in therapy as well, you know, is. But I've had more, more people with calluses and splits on the hands buying into quite expensive programs than people who, who wander around and put across the persona that they're extremely well off where nine times out of 10 is, is the people actually are wandering around with, with the big Rolex on or, you know, the Ferrari outside. The catch there is a lot of those it, are actually max a credit out. that they, They've got very little left to put across this persona. You know, they're, they're living a bit of a fib, really. So not, not judging somebody just on looks. I think is really, really important, you know, and, and that, that's a major thing from the sales environment. We learned, you know, really quickly on. And the other thing from the sales was is, and a lot of people in therapy suffer from it, and I don't mean those who, who are actually in therapy or I mean actually practicing therapy, is selling everything they've got too low. You know, and we have an old adage in sales, if, if you sell too low, you've got nowhere to go. So it almost rhymes. That makes sense. If you set, yeah. If you set your bar uh, uh, below everybody else, 
and for some reason that client needs something else, you can't reduce the price anymore. Got it, yeah. You know, if you start at a much higher level and the client needs something different, and this sounds really back to front, is if you turn around to most people and go, right, I've got this, you want this, but you want to pay less. So I'll tell you what I'll do is I'll take out this and you take a big, big portion of what you're actually offering out and offer them at a lower, a lower price. 90% of them will actually turn around and go, no, I want the other program. So if you set low, you've got nowhere to go. Yeah. If you set it above, you've got somewhere. You can, if you have to negotiate, which I yes. don't like. I can um, certainly agree with that. Um, having run a beauty clinic myself, so one of the things I discovered, because when I, when I bought, when I acquired the clinic, uh, the prices were basically were known as the cheapest clinic in, uh, in the area, which wasn't doing me any favors at all. And I, and I raised the prices and I really, really struggled with that, even though I knew that the prices were too low for the quality that we were offering and the service that yeah. my staff were providing. Uh, but there's advantages in it when you have higher prices, because, for instance, one thing I could do is I could say with a course, for instance, I, you know, I could say, OK, well, I can give you then an extra, you know, to get someone on board. I could say, OK, this course is five sessions. I could give you an extra session. Me. so i didn't have to lower the price but i couldn't really do that if the price was really low because like you said you've got nowhere to go literally you cannot offer an extension for free and there's no padding in there you know it, it, it stops growth you know yeah. it really does you're ending up then becoming a slave to work where most of us are actually trying to escape becoming a slave to work you know there, there, there always has to be a balance i believe between business and personal life yeah, you know, and if you become a slave to work, you haven't got that balance. You just yes, more very, more very important. And, yeah, and getting the same amount back. You know. Yeah, and I think small business owners and solopreneurs that are listening to that now will recognize that the really importance of having that that balance in anything that you do. Um, tell me a bit more. Uh, behind you, there is that screen, um, Phil, that says "Comfort Sales Ultimate Sales Blueprint." So that term comfort sales is quite interesting one. Tell me what it means to you and how you came to this idea to help people with comfort sales. Well, I've, I've got a massive background in, in my own therapy practices and uh, also a massive background, obviously, in sales. And, and the catch that I find in, for a lot of therapists or people who, who, who have their own practices, where they're actually great at what they do, but really rubbish at either onboarding clients or actually scaling the, the, the practice to where I say you've got that, that balance in life where you're getting everything you need, not just on an emotional level, but on a financial level as well. And most books or courses out there dictate the same set of, of, of rules, if you like. You know, you have to do this, 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 and then you get here. And, and whilst that's quite true, it actually doesn't mirror how sales really go. You know, you have successful salespeople, and it can be in all, all walks of life. If you don't sell your product, nobody buys it. So if you don't market it, and most sales, good salespeople, actually make it into a conversation. It, it, it's part of that whole thing. And part of any good conversation when you meet somebody, you know, is building that rapport and, and 
where to say things and how to say things to, to actually go there. Nearly every single course I've ever been on, fortunately or unfortunately, concentrate on what I call closing, you know, closing that sale down. You don't need to do a course, a whole course on, on, on closing. The best closers in the world are kids. Get around right. kids. Yeah. Right? Because real closing is one of the most annoying things if, if, if that's all you're doing. And you listen to a child. If they want something, they will continually go, why? Then they'll give you the reasons. If you give in, what they'll do. So I promise them I'll eat my tea if you buy me this. And you say no. And they'll go, well, why? You know, and they'll just keep on going on and on and on and closing you down. And kids are actually great in it. But that's not how, how life works outside of, of when you're that age. You know, when you become an adult, if you keep on saying to somebody why and you keep on battering them, they actually switch off. So the conversation mm -hmm. came about was, was it, it's an art of conversation with a, an end goal, which is to get your business. You know, so it has, if you like, all the clever stuff in there. But the whole idea behind it is you don't sound salesy, you know, and, and it's a terrible thing. And we all come across those smarms and, and all the rest of it. You know, it, it's about making it genuine. But at the end of the day, you get that what, what, what the whole goal is about. And the whole goal at the end of the day, let's be truthful, yeah. is actually to get yourself business. Yeah, yeah. It's, if, um... you look, if you look at most relationships, if I want something really big and expensive, you know, I'll still talk to my lass. And... Uh, if I just turned around and said, I want to buy this, she'll just look at me like I've, got, I've gone do lally. And, and the same with her. She'll actually break into a conversation and, and it will follow a process. So you know where it's going. But doing it the right way, that person will end up selling it to themselves. And that, that's the art of sales. You know, if that your client sells a whole program to themselves, then all this fancy, you know, hitting people hard and, and, and making them feel uncomfortable isn't needed. Yeah. Because the art so, is, is, is selling themselves. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, you, you know, this, you're making a very important point there. So how do you come, how do you think did this whole image come about of the sort of smooth talking used car salesman with a sort of, um, uh, you know, uh, hair full of the gel? And, uh, <laughs> no, but, <laughs> Clearly, not in your case, but maybe in the past, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's, I don't know, it's quite interesting, isn't it? We all have such a negative image of the salesperson, but the way you describe it now, it's, such a, it's almost like a positive thing, isn't it? It's like um, it's, a, it's a conversation with happy people. Yes, there is an outcome that you want to achieve, but really it's more about the, the doing the conversation right in order to achieve that outcome. It's, it's, I mean, we work within a similar group in the sense that, you know, we come from learning different types of therapy. So like in any, any walk of life, and the, the, the next statement will probably upset one or two people, but hey-ho. You get good and bad in every type of, of walk of life, you know. So I've actually had clients when I was predominantly doing coaching in sales or, or taking big groups in, in, in sales. And they turn around and say, you know, somebody will go, well, you're, you're a salesman. You're just trying to sell me something. 
And I'd say, you know, well, Harold, Harold Shipman is a doctor and he killed hundreds of people. Do you still visit the doctor? And they're like, yeah. Because the fact of the matter is you get good and bad in, in all walks of life. Yeah, absolutely. The smarmy salespeople aren't, nine times out of ten, it's not their fault. It's actually the way they've been taught, you know. So they've had some success with it, and and that's it. And unfortunately, most of them will stay at that that level. They never get any better because that that's it. They won't continue learning. And the the, the old fashioned look, you know, if I keep on hitting you, I'm smarmy, I'm greasy, you know. And forgetting pe people need to trust and have rapport with the people they're talking to, you know. And that's where the problem within therapy comes in because. Unfortunately, that's a picture of if I do any type of sales, that's what I'm going to come across at. And, and it's it's not, you know, sales is about molding your personality. So you build rapport with that person. So there is a level of trust. So you don't, you, you don't have to, you know, slip your hair back, come up with all these smarmy things that I've read in a book or my brother's a salesman or, or any of that rubbish. So unfortunately, it's like all of them, you know, when I worked in childcare, a lot of the social workers had this extremely bad habit of doing this. They put their hands together or the steeple hands together, you know, and they'd say something like, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, you know, and it, it become a, a piss tape for the kids. The kids I was working with, as soon as I said that they used to laugh at that, that therapist. So, you know, in, instead of them just being natural, and that's the thing. Smarmy is unnatural. They've learned a script and, and they, they put no personality in it and they've stopped learning. You know, and you're going So what's that like um, a script thing that they learned that doing this? Is that something that there was sort of, I don't know, some sort of way of anchoring or why were they doing it? See, scripts, you know, there's a big debate on, you know, should I have a script or shouldn't I have a script? Scripts are fantastic. You know, that they're, they're, they're a real beginning of a learning curve. And being fair, most people, you know, learn their initial things off, off scripts. You know, well, you should say this at a certain stage and you should say that. Uh, but what for, what people forget to actually impart that knowledge is that script then has to become your own. You know, you have to put your personality into it and change things around so they, they, they fit your mouth and, and your personality. Because if you don't, you come across as a smarmy, salesy person, you know, or you sound like a therapist who doesn't really know what they're talking. And I think every single one of us have had that phone call from somebody who's reading from a script, word word for word. And you think, oh, because they're not putting their personality in it. If they changed it round to fit them, one, it'd be more interesting straight away as soon as you pick up. And two, you might engage. You know, so scripts are great, but but you've got to make them your own. You yeah, know, therapy, you know, you've got you've got to make that your own. You know, yeah. it's got your your personality and, and the way you speak. Yeah. So, um, I mean, as someone who obviously has um, a lot of experience in sales over the years, and you saw it in various contexts, um, and and I think you said there was years where you had targets that you exceeded of one million, sort of in sales a year. Isn't it? So we're talking about quite large sums. What do you think is the uh, biggest difference, or is there any difference at all between selling services as most of us do as therapists or coaches, 
or selling products. For example, my mom is selling skincare products. Is there a difference in, in the actual sales process? Um, I mean, in, in how you would go about to, uh, to selling products versus services? Right. If, if, if I go into a, which is unlikely because, you know, I've, I've got a face like a smacked ass. But if I went into a beauty salon, you know, I'm going in to, to go for a service uh, and I might buy a few goods. So I'm already in the market, if you like, to either have treatment or and or buy products. So the sales process is, there's still one there. You know, you, nine times out of 10, the really good beauty salons and all the rest of it will all stop selling you. You know, so you might get a treatment, I don't know, for your nails or, or, or whatever. But again, an upsell is, you know, buy this, this uh, nail varnish or, or, or whatever because it increases the amount you're going to take in per each sit, you know. So the process is, is a lot smaller, but there's still a process there. You know, people have to be taught, but it, it's, it's not really, really selling. If you're selling a therapy or a program, it's slightly different, you know, because there's a slight interest there, and that's it nine times out of ten, you know. There are thousands of therapists offering all the different, you know, the, the same solutions, if you like. So yours has to be different. So if you don't know how to actually sell that when, when you finally get them, and let's be fair here, you know, when you get a client who, who's made an inquiry, they have to be like gold dust. You know, at the end of the day, if it all falls down because you're not sure how to ask for the money, or you don't know how to actually put across your services properly or your personality, that then then it, it falls flat. So there's a lot of similarities. It, you know, there's also process. But I think a lot of us, when we come off our courses, actually believe that because I do this, there's going to be a queue outside my door, you know, all, all banging on it for, for my services. And it, it's generally not the case. You know, you still have to sell your services and you have to sell you. If you don't sell yeah. you that, that that's it yeah yeah and you, and you mentioned that earlier that sell you as well that's an important point oh, it's a big, i mean it's a big thing and a, and a lot of people forget it you know is my mom god bless her used to go to the same hairdressers every, every every single week because that lady actually got on really well you know i wouldn't say she was a better hairdresser you know but my mom really trusted her. That, that the lady sold herself to my mom. My mom then then had the trust with her, you know. So if you don't sell your service and sell you, then then then, then already you're falling down, you know. So there are similarities, you know, within therapy and all the rest of it. In fact, like beauty care, there's thousands out there. So if you don't don't sell you, you know, what what they're buying. It's a very competitive world. I can speak from experience uh, without a doubt. Yeah, I mean, in, I live in a small town and it has maybe five, six, seven different beauty places that you can choose from. So what you're saying is absolutely rings true. Unless you have a, some sort of rapport with your clientele, you know, that there is no reason why they couldn't go elsewhere. You know, like there's others that probably do things as well as you do. But what you have is your unique personality and the way you do things. And I guess that's the difference, is it? how you do things rather than what you actually do. That's what makes a difference, really. 
also also is 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 we're in the service industry you know when, when we offer therapy or or coaching you know you're offering a service so if you offer the same service as everybody else then then you know different than anybody else if you charge a higher price then then you have to come up with something you do slightly different nine times out of ten it's your service you know going that extra little mile you know and and going back to the lady who actually did my mom's hair when she eventually became uh, wheelchair bound that lady used to and she didn't do mobile she worked at the the, the, the hair salon she got permission to come to my mom's house and, and do her hair you know now going that extra mile did i recommend them absolutely absolutely mm. You know, so yeah. sometimes it's just going that extra little bit that sets you apart yeah. from everybody else. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so in terms of, you know, we talk a lot about sort of how to do things and, and doing things right. But very often you see certain common mistakes, you know, popping up in the way that, um, you know, people are approaching the selling process. So in your view, what is the, um, you know, the number one mistake you see mostly small business owners, solopreneurs, therapists, that sort of uh, types make when it comes to the sales process? It's not just that it. it's part of the sales process. And it doesn't matter if you just like you said there, you know, if you're a solopreneur, small business owner, therapist, and that's actually undervaluing yourself, you know, nine times out of 10, the mindset is everybody else is charging this you know so that that's what i should charge you know and you, you start undervaluing exactly what you what you do so the mindset is i'm going to be cheap anyway because that's the only way i'm going to get business in Got so it, yeah. about what, we, what we're talking about before yeah is mm -hmm. it price isn't the thing you know people get hung up i'm charging too much and like we were actually talking about earlier, if you don't charge at a high enough level, which is generally more than your competitors, you know, you have nowhere to go. If you charge cheap, eventually that several things are likely to happen. Either you become overworked and overwhelmed. One thing is guaranteed by doing it that way is you will not have the, the, the financial means to keep on going. So you then suffer burnout. You know, so the the number one, if you like, and it, it is selling. You've got to sell your product at a level that is sustainable and allows you to grow to the level you want to. Because not everybody wants to be a millionaire. No, you know, some just want enough to to have the most pleasurable life they can. You know, and have that 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 balance. So you've got to set every single session you do has got to be set at a level which can be sustainable, and not mm -hmm. then. To overwhelm and overwork. I've worked with therapists who, who work seven days a week. You know, and they're actually worse off than if they had an employed job. Mentally, physically, the, the, the whole thing. So it links in with sales. You know, if you don't set your price bar right, and it's better to set it too high than too low. Yeah, yeah. And, and some really, really important points made there. Again, I can uh, relate from my own experience as a small business owner. 
um, in, in the sense that if I had looked around at the prices, what others are offering and had tried to be competitive with that, actually, I would literally have treatments where I'd be losing money if I was to add, yeah. uh, you know, how much I was paying my staff and the cost of, you know, the, the rent and everything. So I think it starts with you, isn't it? How much do you want to make? Do you know your prices? Do you know what your um, overheads are? And do you know what the minimum is that you need to make in order to satisfy you to, to make you feel that, you know, what you're doing is worthwhile rather than what are the others doing? Let's do something, uh, you know, one pound less so that they can come to me because yeah. the people. I actually think you, you, you've made a really valid point. And, and also the other side is, is when you look at competitors and they're offering stuff dirt cheap, you know, I'm going to use the word, anybody who's been in business will actually look at it and actually say, how are they doing that? You know, now either they've got a cushion, which means eventually that cushion will deflate and they won't have it anymore. And then they have to build that back up again. You know, because nine times out of 10, selling cheap, unless you're selling millions of it, doesn't mm -hmm. work. You know, yes. and, and, and yeah. a big example of, of today's, you know, economy as we look at it is if anybody's listening, listening from America or anywhere else like that, you know, uh, you probably won't know what I'm talking about. But we had a thing called pound, uh, Poundland, you know, where you went in and everything was a quid. <laughs> Or you got two for it. But Poundland's gone under. But Poundland relied on selling millions of set products at a low price. You know, so that was their business model. And, and it's gone belly up. Whilst it was working, it, it, it was fantastic. Yeah. For most of us, we only have seven days, 24 hours a day to, to, to make our business work. You know. So you have to set your price. If you work four days mm -hmm. and see, say, four clients, your price has to be enough that it's going to cover seven days of work. Or, or what's the point? Yes, very good point. I mean, if you if you go for prices, hi Alex. Alex has joined us there in the chat. Um, yeah, if you um, you know, if if you're going to go for for cheap, then you go for quantity, isn't it? That's, that's a, very good valid point that you're making so and really generally speaking us especially us in the therapy and coaching and sort of um, fields i would like to think we're not thinking in terms of quantity you know we don't particularly want to have thousands of clients like you mentioned work seven days a week what we want to have is um, you know have a good life and we're confident about our skills we work with people that are willing to pay what we are offering and and really really um working with these people uh, just getting paid what we feel we deserve right yeah i mean I, I have to hold my hand up you know when i first started when i got my first qualification in in hypnotherapy i had that mindset you know it is well i just need the mink you know so mm -hmm. i'll charge less and i'll charge less so i learned firsthand is is that <laughs> I, I was filling my books up mm. But that, that's all I was doing. It was becoming the most expensive hobby you've ever come across. Yeah. You know, so you will it's like not... It's an expensive hobby. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. It's not a job anymore. Yeah, you, on, you, know, you, you have to be brutally truthful here. Yeah. You won't lose clients. You know, if you link back to the sales side of it, if you're, what, what you're offering fits what they need, you know, 
then you're not going to lose clients. Yeah, yeah. What you are going to gain from it is that balance of life. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's yeah. much more important. You know, I'd rather, I'd much rather learn the same amount in four days than work seven days a week and, and wake up stressed every single day, you know, yeah. and I've got to do this client because I'm only charging them 20 quid. Yeah, exactly. And Alex is making some good point, points there as well. She says, yes, I go for quality over quantity as, uh, you know, we all do. And Alex is a therapist, I know, um, you know, using uh, shamanic practices. Um, and um, But she also says she started as a hobby. So starting as a hobby is okay, isn't it? As long as you decide at some point, okay, now I'm going to treat it as a business and then I'm going to set, um, you know, sit down and work out my sums and decide what I feel I'm worth and then how many clients I need and then I'm going to work from there. Yeah, I mean, you've got to look at what a hobby is, you know. I've got several hobbies and most hobbies cost you money so that, that there's no return in it. So if you can fund the hobby and it's giving you loads of pleasure, you know, then, then you go ahead and you, and you do it. You know, if you're going to look at it as a business, th then you have to charge accordingly. And like Alex said there, you know, it, it's not only about charging a higher price, it's the quality you then give. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, so again, there has to, there always has to be an exchange. Yeah. You know? And that um, brings me actually to a point. So a point I hear quite often when we're talking about sales in our field is, um, People say, well, you know, I have difficulty asking for high ticket sales, you know, just what we're just um, uh, discussing. Um, but just the whole thought of, because most people, as you rightfully say, they're sort of conditioned to keep the prices low and competitive. And then, and then suddenly they're sort of into that field where they have to charge for high ticket sales and have bespoke individual programs. And I guess the question is, what is the trick of getting people to buy service, which many people will consider to be an expensive service? See, expense is is down to somebody's perception, you know. And quite often it actually starts with the, the, the mindset of the individual uh, asking. They actually believe what they're asking is too expensive. So initially, the first trick, if you like, is your mindset has to be that, that you're worth that. What you're offering is worth that. And, and believe me, 99.99 percent of the time it is and and if, if you if you want my cost i'm gonna just tell a little story i tell every single sales course that i've ever run for the last 25 years and and it's about a green grocer and he's ordered loads and loads and loads of oranges and he's, he's got far too many oranges so every single morning he goes out and he puts a big pile of them into a big box and all he keeps on doing is reducing the price. And actually, as he's reducing the price, he's selling, but he's actually starting to lose money. Mm. And then one day he's just, he's out there and he I'm, I'm losing money. You know, I've got oranges in the back. They're going to go rotten if this keeps on going on. Yeah, I know. What I'll do is I'll put two boxes out. So he goes in the back and he starts rummaging around in the back and he finds another box. Now, the box is similar to the first one, but it's slightly better condition. So he brings the box out and he puts it beside it and he fills up with oranges. Now, in the first box, he's got five oranges for a pound. And he thinks, well, what can I lose? So on this box, he actually puts three pounds 
for five oranges. By the end of the day, the box with the more expensive oranges, which are the same oranges, has sold out. He thinks he's onto a winner here. And he does the same every single day till he sold out of oranges. The boxes that sold quickest weren't the cheapest, were the ones that £3 for five. Now, at no stage did he say these oranges were different, were better quality. They were exactly the same oranges. The moral of the story is, is our perceptions have always been the same. We're actually brought up, if you like, that cheap is crap. We have tons of sayings, you know, buy cheap, buy twice. But our human nature is, if something we buy cheaply breaks, we don't care. We go, that was it. The other perception is, if you pay more for something, it's generally of a better quality. So when you're actually charging for your service or in your business, you have to remember that guy with the oranges. Because at the end of the day, if you sell cheap, people will think you're cheap. Mm. And the people who pay cheap are nine times out of ten the, the, the nightmare clients. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't turn up for sessions. They, 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 they don't do the business that they promised. The ones who pay and pay the right amount throw themselves in more because they perceive it as. So it, it comes down to that perception, you know. So a lot of the time is, is you've got to set that price. And be expensive. Yeah. Never, ever, never, ever be cheap. As soon as yeah. you're cheap, you know, you've opened the doors. And yeah. And a, um, a Facebook user, sorry, I'm not identified here, says brilliant point, Phil. So, you know, I think people are really can identify um, with what you're just saying. So, you know, it's something that I think a lot of us have experienced what you're just saying. Yeah. Cheers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very good points, Phil. Thank you. So, um, you know, just sometimes I guess just relating to this point is that, you know, I can't help noticing that the idea of making sales is just literally just the only thing, isn't it, that keeps pe most people from realizing the dreams, really, because uh, most people will get to the point where they decide that what they do is uh, valuable and worthwhile and that it's really transformative, I mean, in theory, at least. But when it comes down to the point of actually approaching the clients, that's, sometimes it, I feel... It's almost like a, a point where they get stuck, where they start all the doubt comes in. And what is it there, you think? How, how can you, you know, what is it that goes wrong and how can people change sort of um, this mindset that gets them stuck? A lot of the services we offer, some of us have, have actually spent lifetimes, you know, learning about. And, and one of the mindsets that quite often stop us moving forward is, you know, I, I need another certificate. You know, I, I need to learn about th this modality or I need to do this. I just need to do one more course and, and then I'm ready to. So that mindset actually ensures you, you procrastination of, of the biggest limit. And I think we're all guilty of it, you know, because that self-doubt comes in. Do I know enough? You know, do I know enough to be able to, you know, sell this product or, or make this program, go into coaching or, or set up it, uh, my own my own business? And nine times out of ten, you don't need another certificate. 
you know you don't need that on your on your on your wall you already know enough to be highly successful the the, the catch is is practice you know and People practice a therapy, you know, they'll go through all the notes again and, and they'll reread them. But people then forget about the marketing selling side is the same. The more you practice it, the, the, not only the better you become at it, but the more natural you sound. And that's the whole idea. At the end of the day, if something sounds natural, then, then it's a no-brainer. You know, if what you're offering sounds like a no-brainer, then, then nine times out of ten, again, you, you don't have to do this salesy stuff. You know, it's a natural process. It, it doesn't have to be highfalutin. So you have the knowledge most of the times there to actually go forward and make something successful. Yeah. If you don't practice the skills, and the same goes for, you know, I've practiced everything up until I talk to somebody and then actually I then stutter, fart, because I'm, I'm now worried about asking for this price or I'm, I'm you know, not sure what to say next. That, that's it then. You know, potentially you're losing clients left, right and centre at the level you wanted them. And then you get desperate. Then you go and do the one thing I told you not to do is you sell it cheap. Mm. You know, so you now caused yourself a never ending cycle. Yeah. So all those things, you know, you practice your business stuff you know you, i i have an accountant you know who practice daily is what he does he's, he's having to read all the new laws that come in all the time to be up to speed with it that's absolutely fantastic you know, but to get new clients it doesn't matter how knowledgeable he is you know he still has to when that phone call comes in sell his services yeah because if you don't you have nothing yeah I always look at it. I had a great, a great, great friend, no longer with us, who, who was an inventor. Right. And he was fabulous. I mean, some of his ideas were absolutely off the wall, you know, and they were. They're really, really weird, but, but fantastic. And the, and the way his mind worked. And he never, ever did anything with them, ever. You know, they just sat there. And the thing is, every invention we could ever come up with would be the same unless somebody went out and marketed it got that out there showed it to people and then actually sold them on it it just stays there just a brilliant idea you know yeah and, and that's it and that's such a shame then isn't it, if you have something that at the end of the day you like you mentioned earlier people invest quite a lot in courses i can recognize that by the way too i've done i don't know how many courses. <laughs> And I'm sure a lot of people listening in will be the same. Um, and you keep thinking, ah, is it enough? Is it enough? And you keep more and more, ah, but uh, there's someone who has, who knows more, maybe I should do the other course. Uh, but at the end of the day, the point is you invested so much in yourself to actually have a skill that, quite frankly, not many people have, you know, to get to this point. And isn't that a pity then to let yourself down at that stage? Because you concentrate too much almost on, on yourself rather than the client isn't it what is the need of the client what is the problem that i'm solving so instead of oh how can i sell it to the clients more about you know how can i help this person in front of me to actually achieve their goals really and actually what i'm offering is is, is just the vehicle for that isn't it yeah but I, I think also is 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 why you know i mean you're, you're it's like your program you know people people need it to 
to move forward. If you just keep on doing course after course after course, it really is it's going to end up, I call it an excuse. You know, it's just an excuse not to. You know, because at the end of the day, what are you doing them all for? You know, if you want to change the world or you want to change the lives of a lot of people, you can sit in your darkened little cubby hole all day long, learn as much as you like, and you're going to touch very, very few people. You know, if you're a multi-billionaire and, you know, you can do all this for free, you know, power to you, absolute power to you. Most of us have to make something that, that we love doing pay. So you have to get out of that darkened room and, and it's frightening for a lot of people, you know, because they do know enough. They are expert enough, you know, it's just then the next step of, of selling that service, of getting that out there. And then actually, you know, when they get somebody, getting the right price for it. Because they're not paying for just that one day of, of extra study you did or that two years in university or three years in university. That It's a whole life experience that you've learned. And that's what they're paying for. And you should remember that when you're pricing. You know, it is not one day wonder. It's taken a long time to gather all that. But then it's just having the nerve of going forward. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, Phil, I think we're just coming slowly to sort of to, to the point where we're wrapping up things. I guess the thing that quite a lot of people will be interested in to hear is, do you think, is there a structure to that sales call? If you were to make a sales conversation, would, you, would that generally go through a number of stages? And, and if yes, can you talk us through some of them? Everything goes, goes, it doesn't matter what we do, it has a process, you know, all, all the way through. Where you start and where you end, and I think one of the big catches is, is this thing called red herrings, you know, and if you're having a great conversation with somebody, somebody will chuck in a red herring and it can actually go off tangent and, and you end up talking about loads of different things, then it's really, really difficult to bring it back on board. So for my process, to be fair, it's like a magical world, if you like, where you're in a circular maze, but where every time you hit a block, you actually have the magic wand to actually be able to open that block. And then you can turn around and shut it again. So everything, it doesn't matter what we do, has a process. It's how you, you deliver that process, if you like. And those extra bits in there that make it actually special. And like I said, is is if you can have a conversation with somebody and you come away smiling and or yes, yeah, that was really good. That you know, I got a lot out of that. You know, they're really, really fantastic. That's the worst that can actually happen. You know, if you followed it through. So yeah, all sales have a process, and really, if I take it down to its nth, if the process is done right, you end up with somebody who might say no or they might say yes. It's 50-50. Is that a bad thing if they say no? Actually, no. Especially, do you know, I'm really pleased you asked that bit. Uh, because it's, it's a little special thing of, of mine is we are all scared of the no word. And we are. You know, we, we go to our nth to, to make sure somebody doesn't give you a no. And you should embrace the no especially where you're starting up or 
you need more clients. Because if you only deal with, and you're that strict that I'm gonna, well, I'm gonna ask them this, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna nail it down to this, and, and that's it. And the only people you're ever gonna talk to are likely to say yes. Here's a real catch. Some of them will still say no. You know, those no's are vitally, vitally important to you. So this is a major pro tip, and, and I don't know many people who actually uh, tell the same. In most sales programs, they will tell you, look, yeses, keep on getting yeses. So the whole process, everything is to get a yes, to get a yes, to get a yes. What a load of bollocks, because that's not natural. What actually happens is if you keep on getting all these little yeses and big yeses, is many people will get towards a stage where now you're going to actually put the price down and you want that person to say yes. Actually, get to the stage there where they go, in the back of the mind, there's this little warning light that goes, something doesn't sound right. Mm -hmm. And what they'll turn around and say is, look, I love what you say. I love what you're doing. It actually suits everything I want to do. But there's just something. If they're honest, they'll go, there's just something niggling me. And then they'll come up with an excuse and objection not to go ahead. So if pro tip, if you like on it, is get no's. Get them to say the word no. Make, make those little choices on no's. And then get your yeses in. Because if you don't get the no's in, it's not a natural conversation. There's something unnatural with it. Mm -hmm. So are you saying, if, if there's a point where they say, I'm not too sure about that, that's a no, basically, or um, you know, I don't agree with that, if they come up with that, that is actually a good opportunity for you to actually address this point and reframe it in a way that they actually can agree with. Totally. You know, if... if if I disagree with something you say, is that a bad thing? Well, no, not really. I'm just voicing my, my perception and the way I look at something, you know. And if you don't use that, then, then that's, that's your fault. You know, they're actually express something honestly, or you hope it's honestly, which is quite important. It's, it's important enough that they actually said something. Acknowledge that, no. You know, 99.99999% reoccurring. That is used for your own advantage at the end. They've given you every tool you, you like. They've disagreed with this. Is that a bad thing? Absolutely not. That no can be a positive. And let's look at the worst case scenario. At the end of that, you've done everything perfect. There's nothing wrong with it. Price is right. Everything else is perfect. You know, the offer is right. Bosh. And they say, no, it's not the end of the world. It really isn't. So the, the tip I give, especially if you're starting off in business right at the beginning, look at people who are unlikely to actually buy your product. Actually, actively go after them. right, And get them on that sales call, get them on that meeting, you know, because what are you going to lose? The only thing you're going to actually lose is you already expect them to say no because they don't fit you anyway. But the one thing you can do is practice everything. They'll give you all the no's and all the objections that you, you, you're worried about. You know, so when I teach all my skills, I'll, I'll turn around to people and say, right, just, just invite them. Get them on that call because if they say no, you're going to learn tons from it. 
And then you can always come back to me and actually then ask, how would you actually handle that? But yeah, if, if it's easy right at the beginning, the first time somebody says no to you, and then you watch your business start going like that. Yeah. And yeah, I fully agree with you, Phil, about this suggestion as well of, of practicing. For me, the same. I thought in the beginning, my biggest problem was the actual sales call. But by, by actually practicing, I realized the sales call in itself is not, you know, it wasn't my biggest blockers. But I wouldn't have known had I not, had I not engaged in them in the first place, and which I was is exactly what I was avoiding in the first place. Uh, just because we all don't like rejection, isn't it? That's the main Absolutely. thing that drives this, yeah. this thing that we all want to hear yeses and, and no no's because we, nobody likes rejection really, do they? Well, yeah. I don't care. You, <laughs> and I hope everyone else who listens can, uh, can actually see the, the, the benefit and the value of not caring in a sales conversation. That doesn't mean you don't care for the client, but it means that you are detached from the process, really, isn't it? That's what you really... If at the end of the day your skills are good, you know, and if you are emotionally attached to it, it has to be a yes. So, you know, you, you're actually desperate to get that. That comes across, you know. So you have to become emotionally unattached. And the same as the money side of it. As I said earlier, if you price it, you know, don't be emotionally attached to it. Your client is emotionally attached you're not no if you walk into and i'm not a big car lover you know i'm a, a motorbike lover but if you walked into a, a posh car showroom you'll see some cars with price on application okay and that's their psychological way of saying look you don't ask a price you know if you, you if you ask a price you can't afford it which is a load of bollocks but but that, <laughs> well it is but that that that's their philosophy they're not attached to it. You know, that's the price. If it's £100,000, that's the price. You know, once you attach emotion to it, so I'll charge £6,000 for a program, you know, if I'm emotionally attached to it, if you say no, that, that starts affecting me, you know, physically and mentally. If at the end of the day you say no, to me, my work's only just starting in any, anyway, you know, because obviously I've either done something wrong, haven't sold it correctly or put it across uh, correctly. You know, it isn't the price. It's like the oranges. It's not the price. If you're offering the right thing at the right price, it, it's not it. If you become emotionally attached, it's all about the price. And it's, yeah. And it's folks. Yeah. It's so get, not. no, get detached from this whole idea. It's about the price. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, so, Phil, it has been an extremely interesting um, conversation. I'm sure you agree because in the beginning we said it's going to last about half an hour and here we are 53 minutes later. So I think it was really, really valuable yeah. to hear the points. And there's a, another comment here. So the way StreamYard operates is unless you actually register with them, it comes to, I can see the comments here, but it basically says Facebook user unless the person has actually registered. So this Facebook user uh, says, <laughs> I was thinking the same. It's about the previous points you're making about sort of, um, I think we're talking about, um, uh, yeah, the, sort of the idea of making sales, of, you know, that that's keeping them from realizing the dreams. I was thinking the same until I realized that it was me that got me to where I am. And therefore, I am the subject matter expert in it. Therefore, no course is required to teach. You know, it is a block in valuing ourselves and getting that sale. So I think it's a nice way of summing this up, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, great. So, um, Phil, before we go, just tell people, I mean, if they would like to 
you know, to get in touch with you and uh, find out more about Converse sales and then sort of the art of selling in a way that it doesn't, um, that it sounds like a conversation and not like uh, something that fills them with anxiety. What is the best way of them getting in touch with you? As well, with Facebook, you know, drop us a private message or they call it a DM, you know, uh, contact you and, and you can actually put in my link uh, and really just go from there, you know, or if you've just got a question, do the same thing. Yeah. Excellent. And um, I mean, your, your program is on the background. So if, if people search presumably on Facebook for comfort sales, um, they will find your group and then they can ask. Yeah, and, that's always, and that's always the picture. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, I think us coaches and therapists work together, so I'm always into collaborating with people. I've got my own, um, you know, program of which I'm very confident in. However, it doesn't deal with sales. I'm more than happy to refer people on to the experts, and I believe you're an expert in that. So if people want to find out more about the actual sales process, um, please uh, get in touch with Phil, um, you know, and, and or join his group so you can find out more about sort of uh, what he does. I think your comment there as, as a close it, it is really important as well is, is not, not to be scared of other people in, in different types of niches, you know, because I for one is, me and Costas go back a while now is, and I trust Costas and what he does. So I have no qualms of them recommending, and, and let's be truthful here, recommendation for me is, is worth its weight in gold. So I, I think it's, it's, Again, part of anybody's program in any type of business is if you build up a small network of people you trust, if that doesn't fit into your area, you know, then, then, then pass them on. And I, I do the same for Costas. So I think it's an important thing for everybody. You know, don't, don't be so insular. I think you can answer the whole world for everything because I can't. So if it falls into Costas' area, yeah, more than happy to, to do that referral. Brilliant. Thank you, Phil. And I think that that's the right mindset, isn't it? Some people call it the abundance mindset. And, and I think it's really the mindset of helping and just really being honest about, you know, at the end of the day, people have various needs and, you know, they will go to different people to provide for them. So love yeah. it. It was a very fascinating conversation, Phil. Thank you very much. And um, I'll speak to you soon. Uh, and you will. And thanks for inviting me on. You are listening to the How Did They Do It podcast. Do not forget to subscribe by following us on Apple, Spotify or Anchor for weekly conversations with inspirational individuals who found their own freedom by doing the thing they love doing most. And you can also follow me on costasthecoach.com for weekly blog articles that will inspire you to find your passion and purpose in life.